Dartmoor, England's last wilderness, a wild and wondrous region where the Tors and Myers remain haunted by the fables and legends of this mysterious place. Welcome to Myths of the Moor. gentlemen welcome back to episode seven of myths of the moor uh with myself simon hawkins and my down the other side of the table to david hawkins hello again how's it all going oh it's going great looking forward to this one episode seven we've all this seven already six in the can incredible isn't it yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I think we're uh I don't know if we're exposing uh any i think all of this is out there but we're reminding people aren't we it's quite it, it's good to uh to remind people of some of the weird and wonderful stuff from those crazy old moors. Absolutely, and I think it just shows that Dartmoor is such a rich seam of myth and legend and magic. Yeah. Do yeah. you think it gets the sort of trucks that it deserves outside of the West Country? I'm not sure it does. No, I, th- I think it's... It, I, I realise that it's not a great holiday destination because it's generally miserable, but it's still an interesting place to go, isn't it? It is, whether it's uh, sunny or cloudy or pouring with rain or covered in snow. Dartmoor mm. is a magical and, and, and mythical place. What about its sort of softer cousin, Exmoor? Oh, I don't... Exmoor, a bit dull? I find Exmoor very dull. It's got the coast. Um, I, I've actually used the word I find Exmoor. I sometimes actually find it difficult to actually find <laughs> Exmoor at all. Um, we live not far from South Moulton, which is described as the, the gateway to Exmoor. Right. Well... I don't know about that, but I've driven from South Moulton across to Simmons Bath, and yeah, okay, it's an attractive upland area, but it has none of the drama that no. Dartmoor has, and it also seems to have very few of the opportunities where you can stop the car and walk onto open country. An awful lot of it is um, agricultural land; it's fenced off. Mm. It hasn't got the sense of openness and freedom that Dartmoor does. On that note, and I realise we've already gone off topic, but can I tell you a short story about my experience on Exmoor? Yeah, please do. So we, I was trying to recreate that same thing. So you remember in the past that we've had a few trips, including one where we did some proper wild camping up on the uh, up on the North Moor there. Yes, we did. Um, and we just we, we parked up and we just walked out into the moor. That's right. And we walked uh, for many hours and then camped overnight. And it was a pretty wild experience. Yeah, I think we left from a place called Batworthy Corner, yeah, as I okay. recall. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and our friend Terry had some terrible difficulty <laughs> trying to land his tent in the extreme winds. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I <laughs> seem to recall there was trouble trying to boil a pan of water as well. <laughs> All of these things are peak Dartmoor. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, so I was sort of trying to see if we could recreate that when I was down in that area with, with some friends in Exmoor. And we... Uh, we had originally been thinking we'll go to a campsite somewhere, but it was mm-hmm. midsummer. It, everywhere was absolutely packed, so we couldn't find anywhere. So in the end, we just walked out onto Exmoor, found an absolutely beautiful spot, you know, big rolling hills, mm. heathers and stuff. It's very nice. Yeah. Not, like you say, not as dramatic, but with a beautiful view of the sea in the distance. Ah, that is the one thing that Exmoor has. Yeah. Fantastic. So we set ourselves up, got a little camp going, and you know what happens. The fella 
Yeah. In his little van, van rolls up. up. Sorry, lads. No camping no on camp Exmoor. Come on. What's it for if you can't camp on it, you know? So it was very disappointing. So after that, I sort of gave up a little bit on Exmoor. Yeah, I, I think the problem is there are those who love Exmoor. It means so much to them. Mm. And we, we've just heard of the, not quite recently, actually, the tragic death of Johnny Kingdom, oh, yeah. who produced a lot of radio and TV shows about the wonders of Exmoor. Mm. And he himself was a real Exmoor man. But, of course, it, it's a different sort of environment. Yeah. You, there's deer hunting on Dartmouth. The great antlered beasts yeah. um, are almost the, the sort of symbol of Exmoor itself, and I think the Exmoor flag um, has a mixture of the waving blue water, it has the green of the hills, and the antlers of the Exmoor okay. stags. Yeah. So it's a very different uh, environment to Dartmoor. Well, a beautiful place, no doubt, but sort of a little bit softer and a little bit less mysterious, and maybe that's why uh, we keep getting drawn back to Dartmoor, where all of these weird things go on i i think you're right but it also it's obviously got to do with uh, one's early experiences yeah i expect if i'd been born in south molton yeah. and spent every yeah, yeah. weekend on exmoor i would have thought well dartmoor's a miserable place <laughs> yeah quite possibly yeah, yeah it's yeah. just awful but <laughs> well as we go back to dartmoor um on this episode i believe we're gonna delve we i mean we've spoken an awful lot about various types of strange and mystical and almost magical characters on the moor. We have. But there is one group that we've probably spoken about more than any other, and that is witches. That's right. But today I want to concentrate entirely on the subject of witches mm. and charmers. Okay. Because when you actually look at what is a witch, they are really people who maybe have a history of, of doing more good than harm. Really? Oh, yes. Um... Let's let's just think about what is a witch. Well, is it an old cackling? A lot of cackling going on. Mm. Broomsticks, cauldrons, black cats. Yeah, and of course, originally they were thought of as being very evil creatures, and we can trace this right back to the times of the Bible, when in Exodus we have the lines, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live." Mm. And St. Paul, writing to the Christian community of the Galatians, he said, the works of the flesh are idolatry and witchcraft. Mm. So you can understand why in a very heavily religious environment, witches were really sort of not very highly thought of. Well, we all remember this. We all remember this famous scene, which I'm oh, sure is historically accurate. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the image I've got of a witch. Well, of course, and you've got to admit... A sort of that, cackling uh, crone. Yeah, cack a cackling crone. And yeah. um, you've got to hand it to the Monty Python team for their rigorous um, <laughs> acceptance of historical accuracy. Um, yeah, that's right. Certainly no, no question about the, the, the historical accuracy of that. But, of course, with a Christian community and lines like that in the Bible, somebody had to do something. Mm. And I think a lot of people are aware of the famous book, The Malleus Maleficarum, Ooh. The Hammer of Evil. And that, that was actually written by a, a discredited priest in 1487. No, really? um, and it, its whole purpose was to explain to people how they could tell if somebody was a witch. 
And in the UK, um, King James wrote a book. Of Bible fame. Uh, King James also um, commanded the uh, translation of the Bible into English. But in his spare time, he wrote a book called Demonology, in which he sought to prove the existence of witches. Mm. And that actually led to the 1604 Witchcraft Act, which condemned to death anyone invoking evil spirits. Okay. And it had its parallels in Europe. So in, in Britain, it was a result of the rise of extreme Protestantism. And in Europe, it was a result of the Counter-Reformation. Mm. So there was this huge surge of anti-witch um, sentiment going on at that time. And, of course, thousands of witches were burned right across Europe. And the last to be burned in Devon um, were at the Exeter Assizes in 1685. Okay. But it has to be said they were from North Devon and not actually from right, the Dartmoor okay, area. Yeah. Um, but I think today we've got to say that witchcraft has a much more positive image. Yeah. Um, the word, of course, <clears throat> comes from the Anglo-Saxon wicca. And um, I've got a, a, a Wiccan friend, and I spoke to her only a couple of weeks ago when oh, okay. I knew we were going to be doing this particular yeah. podcast. And I said, well, look, what is witchcraft? And is there a distinction between black and white witches? And she said, well, no, there isn't. Um, that's something that is a construct that's been built up over many years of misunderstanding about what witchcraft okay. or Wicca actually is. And she said it's basically a belief system like any other simply based on respect for the earth and the natural world as the giver of life. So there's um, no such thing as good and bad witches. Really. No, she says that there are that, that distinction, black and white witch, mm. um, is, is really just a modern construct. Okay. So we have, as you say, we've looked at witch tales in many previous episodes, and most Dartmoor tales have a witch at the mm. bottom of them somewhere yeah. or other. They're associated with hunting. They have this nasty habit of turning themselves into hares <laughs> and then being <laughs> chased. And, of course, I think we've spoken about Piers Gaveston yeah. and how yeah. he was given this rather ambiguous message by the Witch of Sheepstore. Now, it's interesting that that story mm. first appeared in 1823 in a poem by the Reverend John Johns. <laughs> good, good he, was, he was a Unitarian minister, and he simply based his poem on the fact that Piers Gaveston had been given the earldom of Cornwall mm. and the stewardship of Dartmoor, and he made up this story. So although we've maybe told it uh, as a matter of fact in yeah, the previous yeah, okay. podcast... Um, well, you know, it was, in fact, simply a fictional poem. Mm. And I think we've also mentioned the famous Dartmoor writer, William Crossing. Yeah. Now, he um, published a whole series of articles about what he called the Weird Sisters. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. Most of them, again, relate to the evil eye. And we'll come back to what the evil eye actually okay. is a little bit later on, I think. Um, but he speaks of some really strange ways in which witches could predict the future or influence people's lives. Um, in some cases, the witch used a knotted cord. First knot she blew, uttered a curse. Another knot, blew on it, uttered another curse. And 
As she knotted the cord and blew on it, the victim got worse and worse and worse. Or got better. Oh, okay. So, whichever outcome there was, yeah, the witch took credit either way. Okay. So he said, oh, well, look, poor old Fred, you know, he was really ill. Yeah. And then I blew on my knotted cord and he got better. Even mm. though she may have made him ill yeah. in the first place. Yeah, okay. But they do seem to have just been, certainly in the tales of Dartmoor, they just seem to have been vindictive old women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's... Well, is, is there a chance that, that they were, in a lot of these stories, given the, the title of which or sort of... They they were described as witches by these people as a pejorative rather than actually necessarily being witches or Wiccans. Well, yes, I'm sure I'm sure that's right. But there does seem to have been some kind of causal link between an old woman mm. wishing somebody ill yeah. and ill befalling that person. Right. Okay. I mean, Crossing tells us about Bet Webb of Postbridge. Right. Um, a chap was driving his carriage along the road. He did something to upset her, and she said. You'll never get where you're going in one piece. And mm. before he got to runnage, the wheel came off his carriage. So we're going to say his leg fell off. So his le- yeah. Well, you know, it, <laughs> it, it could have been. Um, there's a very, very good book, and I, I think we've both dipped into it quite uh, considerably from time to time, which is Ruth St. Ledger Gordon's book, ah, yeah. Witchcraft and Folklore of Dartmoor. Yeah, a, a, a go-to tome on uh, weird stuff on Dartmoor. Absolutely. Yeah, Ruth St. Ledger Gordon tells a tale of a man who quarrelled with his sister-in-law. Almost immediately afterwards, his crops failed, his cattle died, his hen stopped laying, and he was absolutely convinced that she'd cursed him. Mm. So he went to a white witch in Exeter. This actually was an old man of 87 years old. Uh, I, 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 I didn't think you could have male witches. I thought it was a exclusively female occupation. Well, this is where the whole issue between a witch and a healer mm. or a charmer actually comes in. Okay. Um, but this old man was known as a go-to person if you had a bit of a so that, of a that that kind of um, that kind of thing happens in other cultures as well, where you have a shaman or whatever for a village who is the sort of witch doctor, the kind of go-to guy for that. Absolutely. I mean, in areas spiritual healing. Mm. And obviously in areas where there was no immediate recourse to a national health service or anything like that, people with minor ailments would go to their local wise person. Yeah, okay. Or, as you say, shaman, witch doctor. Yeah. um, Different cultures call them different things. Yeah. And actually it's it's quite interesting that uh, even today the the, the French word for midwife is sage femme, the wise woman. Oh, interesting. Quite interesting, isn't it? Um, Anyway, this guy went along to the... um, the witch in Exeter, old man, and mm. uh, he said, look, who can be doing this? I'm really worried about it. everything's going wrong at the moment. Somebody must be behind it. So <laughs> the guy said, well, look, tell you what, get on your horse and just sit back and let the horse go where it wills and it will stop outside the home of the person who's causing you all these problems. Okay. So he did just that. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. The horse stopped right outside his sister-in-law's door. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Of course, he'd ridden there many times, so the horse might have just thought, oh, he's That's probably true. Going to well, it gave him a great excuse to be <laughs> to, to sort of go for his sister-in-law. <laughs> yeah. And apparently this old man also used to, quote, shake hands for warts. 
Okay. It seems back in, in those days that, you know, everybody was festooned with warts all the time. <laughs> yeah. And there had to be ways of curing them. And very often it, it was somebody um, like the old man of Exeter. There's another case recorded by St. Ledger Gordon in the 1930s, an old woman called Alice. She got fed up with her neighbour for some trumped-up reason, I guess. Um, put the fluence on her. Yeah. All the foals died of their, their horses. Wanted to buy a piglet, and the owner wouldn't sell it. Next day, piglet was dead. Mm. You'd, you'd want to get on side with these witches. If yeah, this yes, you case. would. Yeah. Well, you see, this old woman actually believed in her powers because she was taken ill and went into hospital. Um, and she is quoted as having said, the devil's not done with old Alice yet. Mm. And she survived for many years. So she obviously mm. herself yeah. believed yeah. that she had some specific powers. Interesting. It's very interesting, yeah. But I, I think we've discovered from looking at some of the witch tales of Dartmoor in earlier episodes that they're nearly all a variant of one basic tale. Basically, they turn into a hare and get chased by huntsmen. <laughs> yes. But there was often a pecuniary advantage to this. What the witches would do, they would get their grandson to say to the huntsman, I know where there's a particularly fat hare is going to be running tomorrow when you're out hunting. Give me a shilling and I'll tell you where to go and find ah, it. Nice. So the boy trousered the shilling. Yeah. And next day, his grandmother turned herself into a hare. Off she went. Excellent. And apparently one witch who, when she was dying, was found to have multiple dog bites all over her legs oh, where the hounds had nearly caught her in the form <laughs> of a hare but Great. she'd somehow managed to get away with it that's good but when you look again at the sort of healing elements of what uh, witches were said to be able to do some mm. of them the cure seemed to be sort of worse than the actual problem in the first place oh, i mean yeah. there's one um in 1852 a child from lustly little village on the eastern side of Dartmoor, yeah. um, had whooping cough. I mean, a lot of children have that, even today, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but what did the witch say? Oh, go into a field, wait until a sheep wakes up, <laughs> and then lie in the place where the sheep was and breathe in deeply for five minutes. What? And the boy survived. That's weird. Yeah. And apparently another cure for whooping cough is to eat snails. <laughs> no, it doesn't say whether these are Obviously. nicely nicely sautéed yeah, in garlic, a bit of garlic or something. Yes, with a yeah. rather nice sancerre mm, or something like oh, that yeah. to wash that it. That'd be nice. lovely, wouldn't it? Mm, um, probably these were just filthy old mol horrible mollusks from yeah. some muddy ditch on Dartmoor somewhere. Well, if you're breathing in sheep air and I know eating snails, it does make you wonder how people came up with these alleged cures, isn't well, it? Everything associated to witches in that is always sort of a little bit grimy, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Eye of Newt and Wing Toad, of wing bat, bat and all that stuff. Yeah, I know. Not good. But then you you have to sort of get used to the fact that maybe their personal hygiene levels were not that high. What about days. that one that lived in a gingerbread house? Probably a bit overweight if she'd eaten gingerbread all the time. Yeah, night. possibly. Yeah. I mean, although I'd have, I'd definitely have gone for the gingerbread house ahead of the Eye of Newt snail. Yeah. 
sheet breathing system. But was the gingerbread actually offered as a cure, or was that simply where she lived? I think she lived in the gingerbread... Didn't she live in the gingerbread house? And then the kids sort of ate their way to freedom. Isn't that the story? <laughs> yes, but I'm not sure there's any sort of basic uh, correlation between there being a cure... No, true. From the witch living in the gingerbread house. No, I don't know really what it was all about. No, I don't. Anyway, maybe sorry, she wanted to, to bake them. Into, I, I don't. Well, maybe they were actually the gingerbread men were the baked bodies of oh, previous people that she yeah, captured. Nice. You never know, do you? Yeah, good. Here's another witchy story. Go on. If you drive out from Tavistock on the road to Princetown, you'll see on your right a large rocky outcrop which is called Vixen Tor. And seen from one angle, it's a bit of a simulacrum of a horrible witch-like face with a long pointed nose and a protruding chin and deep, horrible eyes. And this is supposed to be the image of Vixana, the witch. Ah, okay. Seems got her own tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she lived in a small cave at the top of this tour. Good. A lot of ca- more cave dwelling. Yeah. Not right. easy to climb, actually. I, I have okay. attempted it. There's a sort of narrow chimney that goes up. And, right. Um, I got halfway. I thought, well, this just isn't worth doing. <laughs> yeah. um, but one day, a traveller approached. And what Vixana would normally do would be to conjure up a mist. Oh, Okay and lure the traveller into a bog where he would go to his death. Yeah. But this particular traveller, he wasn't so daft. He had magical powers. And a magical ring that he slipped over his finger and became invisible. Ah, oh, another Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah, exactly. And this enabled him to see through the mist. Was it Frodo? I don't know. His name is not known to us. Ooh. But... Under the cloak of invisibility, yeah. he climbed the tor. There was Vixana, pushed her off. End of the witch. Ah, she fell she to got her, her comeuppance. She got her comeuppance, or by, by going down. <laughs> her come downance. Her come downance. So, so that's that's the history of that tor that you see. But it, it's quite interesting, actually, that um, Vixen tor, although it's. Uh, appears to be like many other Dartmoor tours, mm. free of access. Yeah. It isn't. It's on private land. Okay. And for many years, it's actually been fenced off. So these days, um, the landowner is very jealous of the area around it, and you can't actually oh, you can't walk across there. it. Oh, no, okay. No, it's, uh, it's Bit of a shame. shame. So um, whilst Vixen Tour always used to be avoided because of Vixana, now yeah. it's avoided... Because you can't get it. <laughs> so it all goes round in circles, yeah. doesn't it? There is a, an excellent chronicler of Dartmoor folklore called Theo Brown. Miss Theo Brown. Oh. And she published a lot of papers. I think we've spoken before about how valuable the transactions of the Devonshire Association uh, are yes, yeah. at uh, recording really obscure bits of Dartmoor folklore. Yeah. And... Uh, She's published a number of papers. Um, and she, in fact, took the view that witches were really no more than charmers. OK. They were people who could provide cures when there were no doctors available. Yeah. You say, in those remote areas, that would almost certainly have been the case. And she says that charmers would never call themselves witches. 
Okay, and she said their their gift depends on three things: the use of a secret form of words and actions, faith in the person receiving the charm. Okay. And the fact that the charmer will take no reward for what they do. Right, okay. So it was very altruistic. Yeah. Apart from the hair tactic they had going on. Oh, but these are charmers. Oh, okay. She would never have... Okay, so that that kind of nefarious activity would be the job of of witches. Of the witches. Gotcha. And and because of what they did, that's how they got, you know, black magic. Right, okay, right, um, yeah. So most of these were people who actually had... Good intentions. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. And there are many record, well-recorded cases of cures that have been made. There's one here, um, the Forest Inn in Hexworthy. Um, a girl had a nosebleed, and the chap called Captain Jack Warren was there. He was the um, head man, the mine captain at one of the tin mines nearby, and the publican's wife was a charmer. So she asked Warren to hand the girl a piece of paper on which was written a line from the Bible. In fact, it was Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 6, which said, Your altars are laid waste and your idols broken. The girl read the verse and the bleeding immediately stopped. Mm. But apparently it has to be a third person who does it. So the charmer herself couldn't do it. She had to ask old Captain Jack Warren, give the girl the piece of paper, she'll read it, and the bleeding will stop. Interesting. It's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, he could have probably done with her activities down in the tin mines while he was fighting off an army of kobolds. Absolutely. That would have come in very handy. I mean, we don't actually know whether he encountered any kobolds. Well. Or as I think they're known. From our previous discussions, it seemed like they were were running rampant in those tin mines. There are examples of knockers, as they were known on (laughs) Dartmoor and and Cornwall. But poor old Jack Warren, I mean, he did have an accident in the mines. Oh, okay. He sprained his wrist. Oh, poor old Jack. Oh, so it's a pretty poor show. Couldn't go to work. So he went to a chap called John French at Middle Merripit Farm. (laughs) Right. And John French was digging potatoes out in his potato plot at the mm-hmm. time. He simply held Warren's wrist, muttering. Nobody knows what he muttered. But Jack Warren's sprained wrist cleared up in an hour, back to work, digging the tin. I find it very interesting that there is this sort of culture of almost shamanic kind of activity going on within these mm. little communities. And I suppose it does make sense because, you know, where where would your nearest sort of, you know, real doctor, medical doctor, where would that, where would that have been at that time? Well, the nearest would have been probably in Tavistock. Yeah. Um, and, of course, um, they would have had to be paid. Yeah. So if you're yeah, a yeah. poor person, yeah. you couldn't afford to pay a doctor to ride out on his little pony from Tavistock. Yeah, exactly. And put you right. Mm. So these people were very, very much relied on at that point. Yeah, yeah. John French, we've just mentioned, he had a sister called Betsy Arscott. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> she was apparently a very sinister character and always dressed mm. in a black cape and bonnet. Okay. And she was caretaker at Archerton. Now, we've mentioned Archerton before, haven't we? What was that in, in relation We've to? We've mentioned the Kistvane and Archerton oh, Tennis Ground. Oh, of course, ground. yes. Yeah, and we've yeah. also mentioned the fact that it overlooks the road on which the hairy, hairy hands, hands it, yeah. yeah. So a lot of weird stuff going on at Archerton. Um, she was a caretaker up there, and apparently she would grow 
a herb called comfrey, mm. which was very good for sprains. And apparently it still grows at Archerton to this mm, very day, okay. although I don't know, I've not seen it. But she apparently <laughs> had the power of prophecy. Right. A farmer annoyed her. Again, they get very easily annoyed, <laughs> these old women. Um, and she said, oh, you'll have a spill before you get home. Mm. And he was riding along back home and a cockerel flew out <laughs> of the hedge. His horse shied. He went off the back. Oh, boy. And... The tale doesn't tell how badly injured he was, but you know she prophesied mm, this event, yeah. and sure enough, it happened. Yeah, you don't want to get on the wrong side of these witches, really. Well, you don't. I mean, the most famous of them, apparently, was a certain Mrs. Webb right. of Stannon Farm. She was known as the White Witch of Dartmoor, okay. which, of course, gives the lie to everything we've been yeah, saying. Yeah, sure, you're sure, but, yeah. You know, but, but, you know, these stories obviously don't necessarily tell... Tell no. the real stuff. She know. she was this person who could do this very strange thing of curing warts with a peeled reed. <laughs> now, I'm not even sure I know what a peeled reed yeah, what is. What is a peeled reed? <laughs> well, I imagine you know the sort of reeds you get growing in in the bogs on mires on yeah, okay. If you take off the the hard outer husk, yeah, there's probably quite a sort of moist, soft okay. inner. Okay, and all you do is just work it round the wart. And that will cure it. Ooh. And she could also cure bleeding by remote control. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of remote control? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Okay. Somebody would come to her cottage and say, Oh, Mrs Webb, my daughter Julie is, mm-hmm. is bleeding very badly. What can I do about it? And she would say, Just go home. And the bleeding will have stopped by the time you get there. And apparently it did. Interesting. Yeah. Now, whether... Well, how how can that work? I mean, even if it's the power of suggestion, there's mm. a third party involved. Yeah. She's not suggesting it to the person who's no. bleeding, but simply to the one who's brought the message to well, her. Well, you know, there's a whole thing about remote viewing. Oh, yes, and scrying. I think we've talked about scrying yeah, before. Yeah, where people have the ability to sort of travel through space mm. and time and almost inhabit or at least view through another person so it could be something along those lines it could be but she did have some pretty horrible cures for other things as well for example she had a different cure for whooping cough what you would do you'd catch a sheep not the sheep no no no, not at all you had to kill a mouse right fry it and eat it (laughs) and that would cure the whooping cough delicious fried mouse i mean that was probably a regular meal for some sort of low (laughs) low living folks on dartmoor at the time nice fried mouse she had a cure for snake bite as well which was fried snake well you're not far (laughs) to start with you'd have to catch another snake um, (laughs) which obviously greatly increased your risk of getting another bite (laughs) but you know, there you it's are. a constant cycle. Yeah, you'd kill the adder. Yeah, you chop it finely and boil it. Then, oh. as part of the boiling process, a scum would appear on the top Ugh. of the water. You'd scrape off the scum and drink it. Oh, that um, sounds worse than the snake bite. It's pretty horrible, isn't yeah. it? Really? Although maybe you know, if you think about what happens when you inoculate somebody against, you get a little bit uh, you of the get anti- a little yeah. bit of flu or whatever it is mm. so there might actually be some yeah. sort of scientific yeah truth you ingest in a that. little bit of the poison or something yes yeah mm. sounds I mean, horrible I, well it does but i have read recently that uh, somebody's trying to um, 
promote a cure for colds and they're selling handkerchiefs or paper tissues that other people have blown their noses into. Oh, come on. And you then inhale it and oh. you thereby develop some kind of immunity to no. it. No, 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 no. No. $80 a shot, apparently. No. No, no, I will go to... Not going to try it? No, I'll go for the sort of medical science route yeah. in that case. I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. But there is um, a report in, again, Transactions of the Devonshire Association for 1949 that says Mrs Webb had a book of charms. Okay. A very ancient book of charms that she passed to her son. And when he died and was buried, the book was buried with him. But nobody knows what was in the book mm. or whether indeed it existed at all. But it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There's another strange thing about snakeskin. Um, the Reverend John Sweet, he was yet another Dartmoor clergyman. Old Sweeto. Old Sweetie. Yeah. Yep, he had nothing to do but ride around um, Devon and... Uh, Living the life of Riley, these church well, folk back then. Right his impressions of the places he'd been to, and did some rather nice little line engravings. They they lived a sort of idyllic pastoral life, these... Yes, yes uh, they did. Um, and he records meeting an old goodness. man at Two Bridges Fair who had a snakeskin band around his hat. So he said to the old chap, why are you wearing a snakeskin... They all spoke like yeah, that. Yeah, why did they speak like that? I don't know. Why are you wearing that <laughs> snakeskin band around your hat, my good man? And the old fellow replied, why? If I get a thorn in my hand, the snakeskin will take it out. Mm. Mm. No real explanation no. Of, um, <laughs> no. of how that actually worked. No. A little bit strange, but there we are. So we've, we've got some more um, examples here from Ruth St. Ledger Gordon, if we've got time okay, just yeah, to sort of ramble through left. a few. Yeah. Um, she, strangely enough makes the distinction, and this is a book only written in the 1960s, but she makes the distinction between white and black witchcraft. Okay. And uh, you'll see, you know, she's got chapters headed more black witchcraft, mm. white witchcraft, and she more or less says white good, black bad. Okay. Um, but as I've mentioned before, my that Wiccan might friend... Might not be as simple as that, yeah. My Wiccan friend says, no, no, it's nothing like that. You yeah. know, our belief system is simply... One that says the earth is our mother mm -hmm. and nurtures us. And that's what we believe. Yeah. And it's all perfectly benign. Yeah. Um, but there's an interesting report again in the transactions that witches believe spittle right. contains the essence of personality. And apparently you could spit on somebody's doorstep to curse them. Ooh. Maybe that's not such an, an outrageous idea. I mean, you think one of the uh, the most horrendous horror movies, I think it was the 1980s, called I Spit on Your Grave. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, maybe that sort of echoed that kind of... Um, it was a revenge story. It was a revenge story, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, yeah. St. Ledger Gordon had a friend, a neighbour called Mary Ann, who did this to somebody that she'd upset. Okay. See if you can guess what happened. His, <laughs> his wife died. Yeah. His business failed. Yeah. And he went deaf. He went deaf? Yeah, I mean, you know. He, Unfortunate. Poor chap. But St. Ledger Gordon says that she was a grey witch. Oh, I, half you and know, half. she sort of swung both ways. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I begin to sort of put a little less credence on what yeah. St. Ledger Gordon says in some of these tales. 
Um, but of course, something we haven't mentioned about witchcraft is the circle. The image and the power of oh, a circle, yeah, okay. which does have magical significance. And hence, a lot of Dartmoor stone circles are associated with witchcraft. Yeah, we, we wasn't look... that where the sort of covens of witches would meet? and So, so it was said, yes. Mm. And apparently this was still happening quite... Quite recently, there was something in the 1960s called the Ethereus Society. And they stood in a stone circle at near Fir Tor, which is supposed to have been a centre of energy, and they raised their hands to the sky. Why do you think they might have done that? Well, they don't, they're not, uh, they're not beseeching some kind of god. I, I assume it's something to do with the earth, then, or weather, or... Trying to stop atom bomb testing. <laughs> uh, but of obviously. course, you could argue that they were totally successful. There haven't been atom bomb tests now for decades. True. Except maybe in North Korea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, but we okay. don't know much about that. <laughs> Apparently about a hundred years ago, a girl was taken by her grandmother to a cornfield to watch the gleaners. Gleaners? Yeah, gleaners. I think they are women who, after the corn has been cut, a lot of ears of corn, mm. or the, the actual corn husks, come out. So rather than waste anything, they go around and pick it all up. Oh, OK. I think there was a reference in the Bible to somebody called Ruth. Yes. Who did a lot of gleaning. OK. I think, you know, she was an excellent gleaner. <laughs> OK. Yeah. was Ruth. Yeah. Um, so this grandmother and her granddaughter were watching them do all this. And uh, one of them was reputed to be a witch. And she came to the girl's grandmother and said, give me some of your corn, I haven't got enough. So the grandmother, naturally enough, said, well, no, you, you, get, you do your own cleaning. Yeah. I've done mine. Well, the witch apparently drew a line, imaginary line across the gate. And the grandmother said to the granddaughter, come on, let's get out of here. We've done enough gleaning for one day. Got to the gate. They couldn't cross this invisible line. It's like a force field Ooh. preventing them. So the grandmother said to the girl, look, I'll tell you what to do. She was whispering because she couldn't, didn't want the witch to hear. Mm. Take this pin. Go up round the back of the witch and poke her in the leg <laughs> with a pin. <laughs> <laughs> which she did right and miraculously the force field disappeared and they went through the gate and there you go on their merry way pretty weird and there's another interesting one here again based at the warren house inn that oh, was yeah. an absolute hotbed yeah it was all kicking off it really was yeah. you know if you if you want an interesting tale yeah go to the warren to house, the inn. house fantastic there were two men in the bar one night yeah one was called will yeah one was called tom Okay. Although they may actually be made up names. <laughs> but they'll do. <laughs> but they will do. Yeah. And they were arguing over something. I don't know. No, nobody knows what they were arguing. Okay. But later in the bar, when Tom wasn't looking, Will drew a circle around his feet. And he fell ill and died. Well, it's not very nice. All because of the magic of the circle. What did Tom... What did, what, well, I've forgotten which way around it was. Yeah, so have I. But what, uh, it doesn't matter. What did one have against <laughs> the other? <laughs> well, simply, they had obviously had a very, very acrimonious argument. Mm, crikey. 
And Will said, "Go on, get my own back on that." Yeah, Tom. wallop, <laughs> wallop, draw a circle around his feet. When Tom was no doubt up at the bar, having yeah, ordering another pint of ale. Crikey, died. Yeah, bad. Died. But that actually reminded me when I was reading that in in St Ledger Gordon, mm. um, way way back when I was at school at Devonport High, we did a play called the Caucasian Chalk Circle. Okay, by that well-known left-wing. Playwright Bertolt Brecht. Ah, yeah. Who Brecht. also collaborated with Kurt Vile and did yeah, the Threatening yeah, yeah, Opera. Yeah. And uh, that was all about a dispute between two families, and it ended up with a child being placed in a chalk circle mm. and the two opposing families trying to pull oh, the child. There's obviously their way some of... significance yeah, then. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Very much so. Snakes don't like circles either. Oh, really? No, no, they really don't. Um, Kestor Rock near Chagford. Yeah. Very imposing rock. It used to have a massive great um, rock basin on yeah. top of it. <clears throat> Two farmers climbed up there one day looking for missing sheep. Okay. They gave a nice view of the surrounding area. And there was an adder on the top, asleep in the sun. Oh, yeah. So one of the farmers traced a circle around the snake and muttered some words. Yeah. Nobody ever knows what these words no. are that they <laughs> no. mutter. No. Very, very mysterious. He then poked the adder, woke it up, and the adder simply went round and round and round the circle. Couldn't escape. Huh. That would be a useful trick you could use if you needed to capture an adder for the cure that it, we were talking about it, earlier. It would be, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That would be a good but, combo. I don't think we've ever mentioned in these uh, discussions Hansford Worth, have we? I think so. No. Hansford Worth was one of the Dartmoor Exploration Committee. He was actually a civil engineer by trade. Okay. But he was a very, very keen and very good amateur archaeologist. Right. And he published most of his works in the transactions of the Devonshire Association, which were later then bound together in a book, single volume called... Strangely enough, worth start more. Hmm. And I'm lucky enough to have an original first edition Indeed, yeah. of that book. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he was doing some excavation up at um, Susan's Plantation. And in the middle of Susan's Plant, of course, the plantation is, is a modern thing. Was, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Forestry commission work after the First World War when yeah, we okay. needed more timber. But uh, he described within the centre of a of the Cairn Circle, something he called a witch pit. And in the kist vein, underneath the basic floor, he found a subfloor with coils of human hair. And apparently a witch can bury someone's hair like that mm -hmm. and cause them to fade away and die. Ah. Which again is, is not a good thing really, is it? No, I mean... It is interesting that, you know, having, like you said, having spoken to a true Wiccan, that, that a lot of these stories, these negative stories, are sort of being associated with witches, but maybe true witches are not, that's not really what these, uh, what these sort of malevolent types really were. No, I think that's I'm right. I'm sure they weren't Wiccan in the traditional oh, sense. Oh, no, no, they weren't Wiccan in the yeah. sense that we understand it today. Yeah. But interestingly enough, Susan's... Um, 
reminds me of another of these weird Dartmoor things where almost everything gets given a name. Okay. There's a, sm- a, f- well, a small hill, yes, it's a, a hill near Susan's Common, and it's called Ephraim's Pinch. Okay. Why do you think it was so called? Well, I don't know. Ephraim's uh, an unusual name, I would have thought. For it is. Devon. But, well, it's a biblical name, an Old Testament name, yeah. I suppose, you know, yeah. like, like Sarah or Jacob. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had them at that time. Um, apparently, the story goes, this chap was walking up this hill and got a little bit tired. And he said, ooh, I really feel the pinch. Right. And ever since that day, that hill has been known as Ephraim's <laughs> pinch. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, very strange. But let me just tell you the best way to avoid um, being given the evil eye by a witch and okay. possibly suffering all these terrible consequences we've heard about. Yeah. All you need to do is hang a witch ball. In your window. <laughs> uh, now, a witch ball can yeah. be any glittery thing. Okay. Either of glass or maybe a garland of fruit or berries. Oh, are they like crows? Are they sort of attracted to shiny objects? Well, the point is, unless the witch... It's rather like a basilisk. Unless the witch catches your eye first... Okay. ...her overlooking is invalid. So if this beautiful glittering ball catches her eye oh, first, I see. it sucks her power out. She looks at you, oh, hi, Simon. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so that's the way you can avoid this particular um, problem. Well, there you go. But I think what it does, it really, the whole thing makes us ask the question, are witches, are they just a literary construct? Yeah. Can yeah. some people really heal? Or can they really do harm? Or is it simply... A belief system that believes that the good old earth is what sustains us and keeps us going. I like the idea that there that there was that there was a collection of um, of women and men back in those times, you know, Victorian and before, uh, where there wasn't a network of of professional medical healers around. And that they were just sort of providing that as a service. But because they were then they were then associated with this power, and people believed they had the power that they could do good. But then, if they didn't like you, they could also do bad. Yeah, and of course, as we've said before, um, witches could almost have it both ways. Yeah, a guy was ill, the witch could breathe on her knotted string and say, "Look, he's got better." Yeah, or if he was perfectly hale and hearty, and she could breathe on, he went, he became ill. Oh, look what I've just done! Yeah, well, probably there is no causal link whatsoever between those things. Interesting. Well, another very interesting episode, and I we'd be very interested if there are any Wiccans out there or witches out there. They can get to us on Myths of the Moor on Twitter and ask us some, or tell us really what's going on. I'd be very interested to find Absolutely. out. Absolutely, yeah. The more we can find out about this fascinating subject, the better. Excellent. Well, thank you very much once again. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we will catch you next time. I think, yeah, can I just give a little spoiler oh, yeah, for on. next time? Yeah, I, think, I think next episode might be called The Devil and All His Works. Ooh, mysterious. So we'll, re- we'll return to the Prince of Darkness next time. Excellent. Well, we will see you then on Myths of the Moor. <laughs>